Acts chapter 18. I invite you to open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 28. We're making some progress, friends. Hopefully you've, uh, you've seen that uh, in the book of Acts, we're, we're moving along here. We're well over halfway there. Uh, seeing how the first, the early disciples, the first disciples in the early church, how they lived on mission for Jesus. How they lived with this compelling cause that's higher than any cause in all the world. And that's to help shine the light of Jesus Christ and his goodness and his gospel truth to people who desperately needed to hear it so that they could be saved. And this is going out to Jews and Gentiles alike. This good news message, it supersedes all cultures, all languages, all barriers. It is the good news of Jesus Christ for every single person on the planet. And it's awesome to see that. Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 28. JT just prayed for us. We just got to do some awesome singing uh, to a great, awesome Savior. Uh, But as we uh, begin to read this passage, a prayer that I pray every time I open Scripture, at least I try to, Psalm 119, 18, open our eyes, Lord, that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Amen. Acts chapter 18, verse 18 says this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At at Sancria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a, a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then, uh, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is the theme verse for the entire book of Acts. Hopefully you've been hearing that over and over and over again. And maybe you've put that verse to memory. Jesus tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses. Power will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so our series right now, we're seeing that, that actually come to fruition The good news of Jesus Christ, born witness by the early disciples, they spoke the good news in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and now we're seeing that this gospel is going to the ends of the the earth, and that's our series right now, To the World, and we'll see that carry over into the next chapter here over the next few weeks. You will be my witnesses to the world. Now, this work of making disciples all over the planet, this is a work that we call discipleship multiplication. That's a mathematical term, right? Multiplication, not addition. We would see addition by, you know, Peter or somebody going and making a new disciple. And then he would go and make another disciple, which he did. 
but then that would mean that discipleship would end with him. He would have to be the one adding all the new disciples or one of the other apostles. Or we've seen Paul, he would go around and he'd add new disciples, convey to people the good news message of Jesus. And then if somebody came along and said, Paul, I believe the message, but now I have a neighbor or a family member. They need to hear the good news. You need to come and tell the good news to them so that you could add to our numbers. Paul says, that's not the way it's to be done. Jesus said, that's not the way it's to be done. Peter said, that's not the way it's to be done. We don't add one at a time. We multiply exponentially. Every disciple that believes in Jesus Christ is called to be someone who goes and makes other disciples of Jesus. And so we see it grow and grow and grow. I've got got an image here for you that will convey this. I I learned this from uh, one of our elders, Matt Rumbaugh. Those of you who are chuckling, you've seen it before, right? The grains of rice on a chessboard. And there's this old mythical story that talks about a man who created the game and and the king of the land, he loved the game. And so he said, how am I going to pay you for creating this great game? And he says, well, here's what you could do. I just, just pay me in some grains of rice, right? And just starting on day one, give me one grain of rice. And then on day two, on square two of the chessboard, give me two grains of rice. And on day three, chessboard, don't give me three grains of rice, but double day two. So go from one to two and then not to three, but to four. And then not from four, but to five, not, not from four to five, but from four to eight. And you double it and you double it. And the king's like, this is easy. I got plenty of grains of rice, right? Well, after a, a while, he realized, oh my goodness, once you start doubling, once you get to the second half of that checkerboard, you start to realize that this is a huge amount. And if you get all the way to square 64 on that chessboard, you have more than 18 quintillion grains of rice. That's hard for me to believe. It would weigh approximately 210 billion tons. It would be enough rice to cover the entire country of India with a meter higher layer of rice. To put it into perspective, India currently grows, I guess this is like an Indian tale or something. India currently grows approximately 100 million tons of rice per year. At this rate, it would take over 2,000 years to grow enough rice to pay the king's debt. But this is just an example, not of addition, but multiplication. And this is what we see as the mission of Jesus for his people. It's to multiply From the one grain of rice on the first square of the chessboard, the amount increases to the point by the time you get to square 64, like I said, 18 quintillion grains of rice. It's a demonstration of extreme growth. This is the mission of Jesus. It's not just adding one at a time, but as disciples are made, they go and make disciples. We're talking about multiplication. This is the work of multiplying followers of Jesus. But here's the, here's the thing, friends. If this is really going to be a multiplying work, which is what I believe Jesus and the apostles and what the New Testament describes to us as the mission, every, partic- every follower of Jesus must be participating. It's an every member multiplication ministry. And we start to see that right here in Acts chapter 18, verses 18 to 24. And here's our big idea this morning. Multiplication is the work of many. Multiplication is the work of many. It takes many people to multiply. If it's just the work of one man or one woman, we're just going to see addition. And certainly souls will be added to the kingdom of Jesus, right? But, but that's not the mission of Jesus. It's not just merely addition one at a time. It's disciples who make disciples who make disciples exponentially growing all the time. And so multiplication is the work of many. We'll see that three ways from our text this morning. First of all, we're going to see that leaders are limited. 
Leaders are limited. It, it, it's not just the work of leaders of this mission because leaders have limitations. We'll see that in Paul himself. Secondly, we'll see that co-workers then are crucial. Co-workers are crucial. And thirdly, God is the one who gives the growth. Hopefully you appreciate the alliteration here today. I was in an alliterating type of mood, I guess, this week. But our big idea is this. Multiplication is the work of many. Let's take a look at the first one. Leaders are limited. It says in verse 18 that Paul stayed in Corinth many days longer. We saw the conflict that he had last week. He felt like he was going to be under threat, but Jesus gave him a vision. I have many people in this city who are called by my name. We saw that Jesus loves cities. Why? Because people are in cities. Jesus loves people and he loves cities. And so Paul was there and he was multiplying and making disciples and he was telling those disciples, you go and make other disciples. And from what we understand, there were many people that came to saving faith in Jesus in Corinth. He stayed many days longer, but he couldn't stay forever. Eventually he had to go. And as he went, there's this interesting little thing in here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. We're probably asking the question, what in the world is going on in verse 18? He cut his hair because he was under a vow, right? Now, I don't know exactly what this vow was about. It doesn't say here in, in, in Acts. Uh, Paul, but we do know Paul was culturally flexible. He was born a Jew. He is a Jew by, by ethnicity and by, by cultural heritage. He could, he could act like a Jew when he's in Jewish environments. He could speak Greek when he's in Greek environments and, and think of Greek philosophy. He, could, he had a Roman citizenship, and so he could be flexible in all these cultural situations. But he was still a Jew, and he takes something like a Jewish vow. What, what he's doing here, friends, is he's not reverting back and saying, oh, I have to become a Jew again before I go back home. But he's saying, I, I'm just taking a vow. A vow is a promise, usually either, either in response to something God has done or, or hoping uh, uh, that God will do. Was it a vow in response to deliverance that, God, that Jesus gave him from the Corinthian officials? Perhaps. Maybe it's a vow that he gave to God before he began this journey ahead. Either way, friends, we know that Paul was devoted to the cause of God, and he cut his hair, something that I probably wouldn't be able to do. But Paul did it. I won't spend too much time on that, but we see that Paul is limited. What happens here? In verses 19 to 20, he's leaving Corinth and leaving that region, and he goes to Ephesus. And what does he do in verses 19 to 20? He leaves Priscilla and Aquila there. He goes to the synagogue to reason with the Jews. That sounds pretty familiar, right? We've seen that pattern over and over and over again. When Paul goes into a new city, he finds the synagogue. Why? Because that's where people are already talking Bible, and he can make the case from the Bible about who Jesus is. So he goes in there, but what's interesting is that he doesn't stay long. He doesn't stay as long as he usually does. He had stayed in Corinth for at least a year and a half and many days longer after that. But at Ephesus, he's not staying for a long time. He's, he's on a timetable. He's got somewhere to be. For what? I, I don't know. We don't know. But we do know this. Paul says, I can't stay long. I have to get going. And as the, the Jews that are there in the synagogue, they want to hear more from him. Why don't you come back? Will we see you again? And Paul says this, verse 21, I will return if God wills. You see, friends, Paul was on God's timetable. He realized that his agenda and his itinerary was not his own. It belonged to his Lord and his master who is Jesus Christ. He says, I'll return to you if God wills. 
And then in verses 22 to 23, he just hurries right off and he goes back down and he goes, probably goes back to the church in Jerusalem and then he goes back up to Antioch from where he sent. Antioch was the church that sent him out. And then he goes back and he begins his third missionary journey after some time. What in the world is going on here? I mean, this is probably a pretty unexciting piece of narrative, right? I think what Luke is trying to convey to us, the author of Acts, is this. Listen, even the apostle Paul had limitations, Even the Apostle Paul did not set his own agenda. His agenda belonged to his Lord and Master, who is Jesus. Paul's not heading out further. He's heading back home. It's almost as if he's retreating a little bit. Friends, every servant of Jesus has needs. The Apostle Paul had needs. He probably went back to get some rest. He probably went back to Antioch to recharge maybe to collect some more resources for the work of ministry. His resources were probably running thin, right? We know he was tent making in Corinth to pay the bills for a while, right? He had limitations. And and above all this, I, I think Paul probably went back because he said, you know what? When Barnabas and I, we split up, we, we weren't too happy with each other. And that was hard. I, I was sure would love to go back and see my brother who's called the son of encouragement. Paul's probably going back because he just, he's tired and he needs encouragement. Even the apostle Paul was limited. He, he had limited energy. He had limited time. He had limited resources. I think he even had limited spiritual fervor. There were moments where he had to talk to his soul. Oh, I'm tired today. I would love to just go sunbathe on the beach. But I got to go back and I got to go teach and preach the word of God. But what he did when he left, he, leaving, it wasn't easy, friends. It's not like he said, oh, yeah, the churches are doing great. I'm just going to leave. No, that was hard, too. It was hard to leave. He was limited. He couldn't be at every church in every city with every group all at the same time. But every time he went somewhere else and would go to a new place, it meant that he was leaving behind somebody else. Paul had limitations, he still cared about those churches and leaders that he was leaving behind. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 28 to 29, he talks about his limitations. He says, apart from all these things that I've been experiencing, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. The apostle Paul, the great leader, experienced anxiety. He says, who's weak and I'm not weak? Paul is talking about his limitations. Leaders are limited. We don't know what all those limitations were that Paul was experiencing. We don't give, we're not given much detail from Luke that shows why exactly Paul went back, but we do know that his time, his energy, his resources, they were limited. Paul was not omnicompetent. He couldn't do everything for everyone all at the same time. And that's not just true of Paul. That's true of every leader, friends. Every leader has limitations, Paul recognized that the only one who was truly sufficient to care for the church in every way at all times was the one who bled and died and rose for his church, Jesus. Friends, there isn't a church on the planet that has a leader or a group of leaders or a team of leaders, a group of people, a group of servants. Every church, every leader has limitations. I love this quote, Paul David Tripp. He wrote a book called Lead. This is what he says. The only limitless being in the cosmos is its creator. 
everyone and everything has been designed by God with limits and it never works and it never results in anything good to attempt to live, minister, <coughs> excuse me, and lead outside the boundaries of the limits that God has set. We don't have to fear our limits because God doesn't send us out on our own where he sends us, he goes to. We do not have to curse our weaknesses because our weaknesses are a workroom for his grace. We don't have to hide or deny our places of immaturity because God is able. Our limits and weaknesses are not in the way of what God can do through us, no. But our denials of our limits and our delusions of independent strength are. Did you hear what he said in the last part? The only, the only things that block us from doing what God wants is our denial of our limits and denial of our weaknesses and our delusions that we're independent and that we could do it on our own. But God actually works in the midst of our weaknesses. What's Paul doing here? He's going back home. He says, I have limitations. I can't stay out here forever. I have to go back. I have to rest. I have to recharge. But in doing that, he knows. But I know there's a gap here. Who's going to fill the gap? Friend, I want to tell you something. You have limits. You have limits. In fact, you have weaknesses. And I want to tell you, the, the, the man that you're hearing over this microphone and that you see on the stage today, he has limits. He has weaknesses. He has limited resources. I have challenges just like you do. I, ha I don't have unending financial resources. I don't have unending uh, energy. I don't have unending uh, 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 encouragement. I get discouraged too, and I know you do as well. And not just us as individuals, but us together as a church, we have limits. Individually, we have limits. We all work within the same limitations of 24 hours a day, <coughs> 160 hours a week, 52 weeks a year, for however many years and weeks that the Lord gives us. You have limitations. And sometimes we think and we believe the delusion and we believe the lie that we are omnicompetent that we have all the time in the world, that we can be our own messiahs, that we can be our own saviors, and it causes us this friction and this tension that we feel in our lives all the time. The Apostle Paul felt that tension. I can't leave, but I can't stay. I have limits, and I have to go. See, heroes and, and celebrities, they try to cover up their limitations and weaknesses because they're seeking to be their own Messiah. They're seeking to be their own Savior. But followers of Jesus, we know better. We're limited, but we know the limitless one. Even the apostles, they could joyfully confess their limitations because their only Messiah and our only Messiah and King is Jesus. We celebrate him we spread his fame, not ours. We are limited, but he is limited, limitless. Excuse me. Friends, leaders are limit, limited. The apostle Paul was limited. So in spite of all these limita limitations, what are we going to do? Can multiplication truly happen? Leaders they only go, can only go so far. So how is multiplication going to happen? It doesn't happen on the back of one man because one man is limited. It takes many for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus to multiply. And we see that in the very next part of our passage. Co-workers are crucial. 
co-workers <coughs> excuse me, are crucial. And the first co-workers we see are Priscilla and Aquila. We see them in verses 18 and verse 26. Paul takes them from Corinth and they go to Ephesus together and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus. I think he had a lot of faith in Priscilla and Aquila. He's saying, I have limitations. I've got to get back home, but I think you're primed and you're ready to continue this ministry of multiplication here in this influential city. They were left in Ephesus where they served the body of Christ for, for probably for years. We see them. They, travel, uh, they traveled from, they began in Rome. They went to Corinth. They went with Paul to Corinth, from Corinth to Ephesus. They go back to Corinth. They go back to Rome. They're all over the place. And Paul sees them as crucial, vital co-workers in this ministry of multiplication for the cause of Jesus and for the gospel. They were left in Ephesus where they served the body of Christ. We know from the New Testament, what Paul writes is that Priscilla and Quilla, they hosted a church. Churches didn't meet in middle school auditoriums necessarily. They didn't have big, great cathedrals. They made in homes together. That's where church happened all the time. And Priscilla and Aquila, they hosted a, a church in their home. And they taught together. They taught together. Now, Priscilla and Aquila, they're always mentioned together in the New Testament but what's interesting here, Aquila is the husband. He was a Jew by birth, and he married Priscilla, and together they believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were co-workers of Paul. But what's interesting is that Priscilla, the female, the wife, is listed before Aquila four out of the six times that they're mentioned in the New Testament. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean everything, but it means something, friends. It means something. Priscilla being mentioned first. Now, this was extremely rare for the culture and the time. Now, some New Testament copyists who later copied this, the, the New Testament, uh, they didn't like that so much. And so they actually reversed it and put Aquila back in front of Priscilla's name. But the most reliable documents that we have have Priscilla's name mentioned first. It cause us to ask some questions. Did she have a leadership role within the house church? What, what was her role there? We don't know, but we do know that Paul saw her as very, and Luke, who mentions her first in this passage several times, she had a very strong influence in ministry in the life of the church there in Ephesus. Thomas Schreiner says that whether, you know, whatever's going on here, she was at least as involved in ministry as her husband. I'm so grateful for this, friends, to see a woman of God Take seriously the mission of Jesus. And we see that all over the place in this church. I'm so grateful for that. So I celebrate you, ladies. We celebrate you. You love Jesus. You, you're competent in Scripture. Boy, you could con converse about Scripture and talk about what God has done. This isn't a male religion. This is a God's people religion. Male and female together, praise be to God. And what happens here? What, what do they do here that's significant <coughs> as co-workers, co these crucial co-workers? They together, Priscilla and Aquila, they teach Apollos. Now this Apollos, he, he already had great learning, but his learning was incomplete. Some in the church are called to authoritatively teach and preach the word of God in his church. We see that from, from, the, from the pastoral epistles in, in First and Second Timothy and Titus. Who are those people? Who are called elders? We believe that the scripture teaches that God calls qualified men to be elders in his church to lead and serve the body through leading, shepherding, and teaching. But friends, I want you to see here that we see an example of it right here in Acts chapter 18. All people... 
all people, elders, non-elders, male, female, all are called to teach one another, as Colossians 3.16 says. And as, as Ephesians 4.15 says, we're all called to speak the truth in love toward one another. Oh, I love it here. I praise God that we get an example of some crucial co-workers in Aquila and a, a Priscilla, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife that together are walking in step for the cause of Jesus Christ and are, they're using their marriage and their ministry together, teaching for the work of multiplication in this world. Praise be to God. Look at the significance of the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila in the life of his church. This is how Paul viewed them. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 19 says this. The churches of Asia, Paul's writing from Ephesus, send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, who's Priscilla, together in the church in their house, send you greetings in the Lord. Crucial, vital, important co-workers who are crucial. He writes in Romans 16, 3 through 4. Uh, obviously, Priscilla and Aquila, they now live in Rome. They've moved all over. Like I said, <coughs> they say, greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. What a statement. Fellow workers. Paul didn't see like a status. I'm up here, they're down here. No, he says, we're on the same level together. We're fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And he talks about Priscilla and Aquila. They risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Do you think Paul valued the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila? He absolutely did. And Priscilla and Aquila together teach Apollos. They, he, they have a great ministry that we're going to see doesn't just stop with Apollos, but it multiplies. It multiplies. Men, husbands, ladies, wives, single men, single women, but especially to you ladies, I want you to see what an awesome example in Priscilla. We love seeing Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, we want to see more Aquilas more Priscilla's emerge in this community, in our church at Fairfax Bible Church. The church in Ephesus then and in Corinth grew and matured because of a faithful woman and a faithful man who knew the scriptures and could teach. Sisters, I want to tell you something. We need you. We need you. Brothers, we need you. We need you, and we want to help equip you and teach you so that you can teach the word of God where God has called you. Maybe it's to children. Maybe it's to you know, brothers and sisters in a small group setting. Maybe it's over a cup of coffee. <coughs> Excuse me. Maybe it, it's like a ladies' Bible study on Friday nights that are learning about the character of God. I'll tell you what, us elders, we were just giving thanks to God yesterday. I'm so glad we've got a group of ladies meeting every Friday night right now that are learning Scripture and enjoying the character of God. Oh, this is the kind of Priscilla and Aquila ministry that I think Paul's talking about. Fellow workers for the cause of Christ. Praise be to God for that. You have a place in the family of God. You've got a place in the mission of Jesus of multiplication because co-workers are absolutely crucial. Aquilas and Priscilla's. Not only that, we see Apollos. 
Verses 24 to 25, he's, we see that he's a Jew from Alexandria. Alexandria in Egypt was the second biggest city in the Roman Empire and a center of great classical learning. It was the cultural and educational center of the Greek-influenced world. You think about what's the, the educational center of the English-speaking world? It's probably like Oxford. I mean, this is like this guy Apollos coming from Oxford in England. He was an academic, and he was a great speaker, a great orator. He was eloquent with his words. And he used his great learning, not just to point people to how high and, and, and academic he was. No, he used his great learning to teach scripture. What he knew of the gospel, though, was limited to the message that was preached by John the Baptist about the, the Messiah of Jesus who was coming. Maybe, maybe this uh, uh, Apollos, he had heard about John baptizing Jesus and, and what John was saying about Jesus. Behold, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but his knowledge was incomplete. And therefore, it was inaccurate. He, he wouldn't have known of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and sending of the Holy Spirit. His knowledge was right, but it was incomplete. But now, he was equipped with the accuracy about the gospel of Jesus. And we know that the gospel of Jesus, as Paul writes in Romans 1.16, that message is the power of God for salvation. Now, because of this ministry of Priscilla and Aquila to teach Apollos so that he would fully understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, Apollos was ready to rock and roll, friends. He didn't just have great learning. He just didn't have great oration skill and eloquent words. Now, he fully understand the power of God into salvation. And this was a man who was equipped and ready to go and do great things for the cause of Jesus. Remember, the mission is multiplication. Multiplication takes many. Co-workers are crucial. God uses Priscilla and Aquila to take Apollos. Come on over for a cup of coffee, Apollos. We need to tell you some things that you don't quite know yet, but we believe that this is going to set you free, man, for some awesome work in Jesus' name. Co-workers are crucial. And Apollos, he goes to Achaia. That's, that's the region where Corinth was. So they, they're in Ephesus, and they're talking about, hey, man, we saw all this great stuff. We spent time in Corinth. And there's these Corinthians there, and they're doing everything they can to hold on to their faith. And Apollos says, let me go. I want to minister to them. And so they say, great. And they send him out. And what does Apollos do? He powerfully refutes the Jews in public. Now, that's not just Jews ethnically. These are religious leaders who are denying that Jesus is the Christ. They want to hold power to themselves. And Apollos in public shows them from the scriptures, no, 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 the Christ is Jesus. Praise God for equipped and gifted defenders of the faith. I'm so grateful for apologists like, like Apollos who come in and they help me and they encourage my faith and they build up my faith because I want to have a reason for the hope that is within me. And I believe that you want to have a reason for the hope that is within you. What a gift to Christ church that we've got Apollos apologists, people who give a reason for the faith. We may have some Apolloses here. Some Aquilas, some Priscillas, some Apollosuses. That's hard to say. Plural Apollos, right? Right? I hope that we do. I hope that we do their gifts to the church. In fact, that, that's what Paul writes. 
in his, his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, 11, and 12, it says this, And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see it there, though? There's this beautiful method of multiplication. And it's not all centered on just these, these few, this group of people, right? Not, not just on the apostles, not just the prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers, but to do what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And co-workers are crucial, friends. I want to tell you something right now. I am not up here as a minister, and you are all here just, just to hear my ministry. You are the ministers. You are the ministers. You are the fellow workers. You are the co-laborers. If you're a follower of Jesus here, you are in the ministry with us as a church. And us elders and teachers and pastors, we're just here to equip you so that you could go live sent. Because multiplication is the ministry. Multiplication is the work of many. Leaders are limited. And co-workers are absolutely crucial. Praise be to God. The church needs educated people, equipped with the truth of Scripture to defend the faith and strengthen the church. Maybe that's you. Students, we got some students here in the room. Maybe God is calling you. You're probably starting to think about your plans for your next steps. You're asking, how, how's God calling me to serve the body of Christ? I, I, you know, I'm, I'm applying to this school, that school. I want to go do this job. I want to go do that. I want to work for the government. I want to work in the private sector, w whatever it is. But ask this question, how is God calling me to serve the body of Christ? This is our mission this is our ministry. And then ask this question, how should that influence the next steps I take in my education and in my career path? I, I hope we've got some future Priscilla's and Aquila's. And maybe there's an Apollos in the room that can go and learn and learn how to defend the faith and strengthen the church through their skills and their education and their abilities. I'll tell you my own journey. I was starting to feel the tug of God in my heart. Gosh, this was probably 15 to 20 years ago. I was feeling the tug of God in my heart, and I felt like I don't know what I should do with this calling on my life. Is it really God who's doing it? And there was one way for me to know, and my mentor, my pastor, his name is Phil Howard, he took me to lunch and he said, Matthew, if you're feeling it, if you're feeling that hunger, and if you're feeling that desire, he said this, feed it, don't flee it. Feed it, don't flee from it. Friend, if you're feeling the call of God to take a next step in being a part of this multiplication ministry for the cause of Jesus, feed the hunger, feed the desire, don't flee it. Guess what, friends? I want to tell you, this might freak you out. I'm an interim pastor. Now, that's not what I was hired to be necessarily, an interim pastor. And I hope that I'm here for, if the Lord allows, decades. I don't know. Who knows? I, I, my dream is that I want to be buried here in Fairfax. Not anytime soon. Not anytime soon, many days from now, but I'm interim. Our elders are interim. Our Bible teachers and small group leaders, we're, we're here, we're temporary, we're limited. But oh, if you feel that call, if you feel that hunger, feed it, don't flee, because we need another generation of leaders and teachers and Priscilla's and Aquila's and Paul's and Apollos's here in this congregation so that the cause of Jesus can multiply, not just person to person, not just community to community, but generation to generation. That's the vision, friends. That's the vision, and we need you to be a part of this. Feed the hunger, don't flee from it.
We need co-workers, co-laborers, fellow workers are crucial for the work of the ministry to multiply. There's a third and final point. I'm going to move through this quickly here. And you may not see it immediately, but it's there. Leaders are limited, co-workers are crucial, but it's God who gives the growth. You see, you see all these people that are, are doing the work tangibly, but behind all of it, guess who's, who's really, he, he's the one who's really doing all the work? It, it's Jesus Christ through the spirit whom he sent. He's the one that's guiding and leading. He's doing all of this. In fact, the apostle Paul, he, he writes to the Corinthians because Apollos goes to Corinth and he just starts crushing it, friends. Like he's teaching, he's refuting, and the people are like, wow, this Apollos, he's amazing. He's an even better speaker than Paul. So now we're gonna follow this Apollos. We don't need Paul anymore. Priscilla and Aquila, they were here for a while. They were nice. No, we're, we're disciples and we're devotees of this Apollos. Like He's captured us. We've got him. And there started to be divisions because some people said, wait a minute, wait a minute, but Paul invested so much in us. I spent so much time with Priscilla and Aquila. So you're just going to turn your back on them? And some people said, well, we're Apollos people. And other people said, well, we're Paul people. And other people said, well, you know, we're, we're belong to this group and this person. We're following them. They're our leaders. And Paul says, you know what? All of that is just absolutely ridiculous stuff. And he has to write to the Corinthians because they're starting to be divided about who is it that they're following. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 11. And here's the summary before I read it. It's God who gives the growth. He says this, what, what, what then is Apollos? What, what is Paul? What are they? They're this. They're servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And here's what Paul says. He's using the imagery of, of like a garden or, or, a, or a vineyard or a crop. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's the one that really does the multiplying, friends. He who plants and he who waters are, are one, and each one will receive wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. Do you see that there? We are his fellow workers. Jesus calls us to be on his team to work with him. Sometimes I wonder, why would he entrust such important work to such a lousy person like me? Me, but he says, I get to invite you into this, and he's inviting you too, friends. We are God's fellow workers. We're God's field. We're God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, it's God who gives the growth. And if we're going to grow a vineyard here in Fairfax, if we're going to see a building built up, a temple that's holy to the Lord, it doesn't matter if you lay the foundation. It doesn't matter if you're putting up walls, windows, plumbing, electrical. It doesn't matter if you're planting the seed and watering it or whatever. Friends, I used to work in this chrysanthemum field with this guy who lived out in the middle of the Sonoma County wine country in California. And me and a group of college students for like four summers in a row, we'd bend over and we'd have the bamboo steak and and I'd make the stem grow up, and others would go around watering. And then we had this boss. He was weird. He told us, you got to talk to them if they're going to grow, right? These flowers, these chrysanthemums. And I never got to see it. Why? Does anybody know when chrysanthemums come out? They come out in October. I was back at school. I never got to see it. But guess what? I got to be a part of the watering. I got to put the bamboo stakes in. I got to be a part of, you know, putting soil in pots and all this stuff. It was quite amazing. I saw pictures of it. They were beautiful flowers, right? But that, that's what we're a part of, friends. Some of you are going to plant seeds. Some of you are going to water them. 
Some of you are going to lay foundations of this building. Some of you are going to put up walls and, and plumbing and electrical, but it's God who's the one that's building this building to his glory. He's the one who gives growth in this vineyard. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne and the trellis and the vine, a great image there of the, in their book, they say this, we should hardly be surprised that Paul gathered a team around him for the cause of the gospel. Paul valued diverse gifts of grace supplied by the Spirit for the building of the body of Christ and accordingly worked alongside a variety of associates in a diversity of roles, uh, from preacher to scribe to messenger to prayer warrior. Inevitably, some of Paul's fellow workers were closer and more long-term than others, but I love this. He treated them all as brothers and sisters and fellow workers. And here's the statement that I want you to see above all. Paul had no disciples, for there is only one master. Paul had no disciples. Friends, you're, you're not a disciple of Fairfax Bible Church. You're not a disciple of Pastor Matthew or Pastor Hang or your small group leader or your elders. No, 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 no. We are disciples of one master who is Jesus, and he's the one who gives the growth. And he invites us in to be co-laborers with him. Multiplication is the work of many. Leaders are limited, co-workers are crucial, and God gives the growth. He's the hero. He's the one. He's the one who does great things. We look to him, and I just want to ask you as we ask this final question, what does this mean for Monday? And as you consider this, maybe over lunch today, maybe in your own quiet time tomorrow, Maybe we need to sit down and talk together. Let's do that, but let's, let's consider this. First of all, leaders are limited. I want to ask you this. Are you willing to be honest about your limitations? Stop lying to yourself. You are not omnicompetent. You, you, can't, you can't burn the candle at both ends and do that forever and ever and just think that you're going to be the most productive person on the planet. You have limitations. So I want to ask you, will you accept them? And know that God uses your limitations. He uses your weaknesses when you acknowledge them. His strength is made perfect in your weakness. I want to ask you this too. Not only do you have limitations, but leaders have limitations. Friends, let's not give in to the temptation to put leaders on a pedestal. I mean, my heart's been crushed so many times as I've seen influential leaders in the American church just crumble and fall all over the place in our culture, in our society. Some that I knew from a distance, some that I knew actually fairly well and personally, and my heart is crushed. And in that moment of crushing and sadness and weeping and grieving over seeing leaders who are limited fall flat on their faces because they didn't recognize their limitations and they got, they got deceived, as my heart breaks, the Lord reminds me once again, Matthew, you have limitations. Don't put anybody on a pedestal. Let's remember that we're all co-laborers together. Work for me, not for a man. Work for me, Jesus says, not for a man. Can you appreciate that leaders have limitations, faults, and weaknesses just like you? Do you give your leaders, small group leaders, your elders, those who look over your souls, do you give them space to rest and recharge? I want to ask you, what does this mean for Monday? If co-workers are crucial, what part is God playing you, uh, calling you to play on his team? We need Priscilla's, we need Aquila's, we need those who are like Apollos. I can't say that in the plural. Apollos's. <laughs> there are no sideline saints. Let me say that again. There are no sideline saints. If you're here today, say, oh, I'm gonna follow Jesus and I 
check the box on Sunday and I go home. You're sitting on the sideline, friends. We need you. Every part of the body of Christ is needed. That's why I love membership here at Fairfax Bible Church. You're making the commitment. I'm not going to stand on the sidelines. I'm going to be involved in the work of the ministry. I want to ask you, have you asked yourself how God has gifted you to serve the body of Christ? Just take a step. Feed it. Don't flee it. How can you be a part of this ministry of multiplying followers of Jesus? And if you're feeling exhausted already, don't forget this. God is the one who gives the growth. There are no celebrities here, no heroes. We don't follow a man. Those who follow people and assume that all ministry is centered around one key, uh, you know, charismatic figure around them, they're at least a very unhealthy type of place. And at worst, they're a cult. We don't want to be that, friends. There is only one foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. I want to ask those of you that are maybe just searching here today, who, who's the foundation of your life? You have limitations. You're going to pass away someday. Death has a 100% success rate. You have limitations. Who or what is the foundation of your life? Are you fighting against those limitations that you feel every day? Why don't you look to the limitless one? the one who is Jesus, the one who could give growth and life to your life. He is the one who's omnicompetent. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't look to establish religion. We've got limitations. We've got limits, but there is one who is limitless. Look to him. I make a lousy Messiah, and so do you. So let's together look to Jesus, the master, the Messiah, and the hero of our faith. Because multiplication is the work of many under the limitless one who is Jesus. I want to invite the worship team to come up and we're going to close in prayer. Why don't you stand with me as we bow our heads and close our eyes and call upon the Lord who is the limitless one. Lord, we thank you. Because of your multiplication ministry, we were called. We were invited into the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm so glad, Lord, I didn't have to go to a pope or a priest or someone else that can add me into the kingdom. No, it's multiplication. I, I, I was saved because I had a mom who taught me about Jesus. I had leaders in my life and my church that I grew up in who loved me. I've had professors and teachers and pastors and elders who've loved me, Lord, and they took this ministry of multiplication seriously. We want to be that kind of people, Lord. We confess here today that we are limited. We confess it, Lord. We confess, Lord, that we, we, we want to hear the calling of Jesus on our lives. We may be limited, but we certainly don't want to be on the sidelines. We want to sign up for service to King Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us fellow workers, fellow co-laborers. We thank you for the Priscilla's and the Aquila's that are here in this assembly. Lord, would you teach us the calling that you put on our lives, not to flee from it, but to feed it. And Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are the hero. You are the limitless one. You are the one who has done great things and is doing great things. You are our foundation. You are the one that we rest our hope upon. You are the one that will give us growth. Lord, if, if you're going to add one more soul to this local congregation, it's because of Jesus. Some of us may plant, some of us may water, some of us may build a foundation or build the walls or do the plumbing, but you're the one who deserves, a, deserves all the glory because you're the one that's doing the work. And so, Lord, we entrust ourselves to you. Help us to be faithful co-laborers in the kingdom of Jesus. 
And if there's anybody here today that feels their limitations, that has been trying to live as their own messiahs, oh Lord, would you convict their hearts and see that there is one who is limitless and his name is Jesus, that they call upon his name and receive his competency and his power to save them forever and ever. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. He's done great things. Let's sing it together now.